Hey, FFR listeners, this is the producer Rob speaking. It's that time of year when everyone starts to think about the important things in life, like our taxes. Did you know that a donation to Feminist Frequency is actually tax deductible? If you have a few bucks a month to spare, head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak, F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Help us out, but also help yourself to all the great exclusive content that's available only to people who are signed up on our Patreon. The rise in like leather culture and biker culture really took off after World War II. Mm-hmm. Everyone has seen the picture of Marlon Brando as like <laughs> this little leather biker cap. Boy, have we. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio presents Machos Fully Loaded. This is the podcast that asks you to be critical of the media you love, and this is the season where we're investigating masculinity in movies and TV. I'm Kat Spada. And I'm AC Lamberty. Okay, what if I was like, this week, welcome to the week where we're doing an entire episode about Billy Eichner's bros. (laughs) (laughs) The first gay film. The the first (laughs) ever. Can you believe it? (laughs) Okay, here's my version of last week's bad intro coffee Thank this you. week don't mind us if you see our camera driving past you on the street several times in a row we're cruising for dudes this week as we get into the world of gay cinema for machos who love machos can't wait Masters. 100% pure adrenaline weapons your move creep dominance can't machos the only place you're gonna go is the hospital I will be right back. I mean, this is it. Like, every movie has mm-hmm. gay undertones. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Some movies have gay overtones. I wrote this in our show notes. Like, what is your relationship with gay? <laughs> 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 Obviously, like, meaning in terms of, like, uh, I think there is a moment when you kind of discover, like, oh, I'm drawn to, like, certain, you know, types of cinema or, yeah. like, even researching, like, deciding what I was going to talk about for this episode. And it was, like, all the recommended for you sections <laughs> on the streaming services. It was, like, oh, does she love a movie about the um, AIDS activism group ACT UP? Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, I my my relationship with gay cinema, and when I say gay in this episode, I feel like I'm I mostly mean two men. Um, yeah. In the context of these films, um, but my relationship with gay cinema, I feel like I came to it aesthetically when I was like kind of young. Um, mm-hmm. And I've just been thinking a lot about like what is the common thread between all of the films that are some of my favorite films ever in the world, and it's just a sense of like bombasticness. That is so hallmark of gay cinema in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's my fucking life. I love this shit. (laughs) It's like it's everything. It's it's everything. I was really excited when I saw what movies you were going to be talking about, because like we talked about soft boys in terms of straight, like a certain type of straight man uh, portrayed on film. We talked about sex workers and how that is shown from like a homosexual and heterosexual context Uh um when we're just focusing on like gay men on film i feel like we're like one of us is going to talk about 
flamboyancy and one of us is talking about like ruggedness and i think that's a great like especially for machos like a really good investigation of like Mm. what does it mean to be larger than life yeah and what does it mean to be um hard and tough in these ways that like are i think idealized as like a straight quality when it's like Mm -hmm. not that has nothing to do with being straight or not yeah and what is what do these portrayals both mean for the actors playing them too like the actors that we are going to be talking about today are extremely famous like (laughs) award-winning like straight dudes all of them i think um for the most part yeah um yeah, there's so much gay cinema that's like independent film, uh-huh. low budget, cre- and these are the movies that are going to be more like created by, uh-huh. performed by, written by actually like queer people. Right. Um, but when mainstream Hollywood gets its hands on it, uh-huh. <laughs> it just, it has like a very different, I think that's one of those questions too is like, when it's a Hollywood movie, Hollywood isn't trying to make something for a gay audience. Right, right. Um, do you have any particular thoughts on straight actors playing gay roles? I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm po- like I'm post this conversation at this. Point. Like I'm like <laughs> I actually am all the way around. I don't really care anymore. Like I don't know. Yeah, this is where like I have a broken brain and i'm like well genu- generally i'm like mm, i don't think there's anybody who's actually straight <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, is that me like erasing actual identity yes like and saying that it doesn't matter no like that's where i don't want to go out and say like well that it doesn't matter because i don't right i feel like Label everyone shouldn't exist or whatever but there's a yeah, material like, reality you know, we can be yeah. yeah but then it becomes uh scarlett johansson saying she could play a tree or whatever right <laughs> I think that, like, ultimately, it really comes down, well, it's one of those, in a perfect world, if everybody, like, if actually, like, gay actors were getting the types of roles or the access or the ability to audition for uh-huh. stuff, where you'd say, oh, well, we need to have a, a, a big star in it, that's why we cast this straight guy. Uh-huh. Like, if we had 500 Luke Evanses <laughs> who could all be in these roles, then, like, we would be By having way, a different conversation. fisting tattoo. You've seen that, right? <laughs> no. What? This is okay. This also is absolutely the tenor of this episode. Like, I love <laughs> queer theory. I love like getting deep on it. But lol, Luke Evans also has a tattoo armband, like fisting uh, uh, signifier. Bless him. Slay. Bless, anyway. I mean, why didn't you bring that up when we talked about Gaston last week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Disney had a field day photoshopping that out. <laughs> anyway. But I will say this, and I think I'm going to start here before I hand, like, before I let you, like, bring our audience into it. Absolutely is like, it off. does depend on the actor. So, yeah, um, chemistry is important. Chemistry, but also, like, a lot of these actors are, like, pretty homophobic. Uh, okay. And they're still taking these opportunities to be seen as like serious actors. Oh, and I, think I, I that's know we're going to be talking problem. about Matt Damon. <laughs> we are going to spend some time on Matt Damon, and like, you know, I I think about like, but uh, Mark Wahlberg just played like mm-hmm. the dad of a bullied gay son, right? Yeah. And I was like, 
what is this? What's happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is this good? Is this progress? It, yeah. It, are these just the breadcrumbs we're hoping for? Or no, is this totally. like, yeah, you know, this is what we get. You're about to get me started, Kat. It's assimilation <laughs> politics, which drives me fucking nuts. Like, I don't know. You, you have a little note in here just kind of when we were brainstorming about gay cinema and things that we thought about in relation to like stories where Hollywood is like, oh, it, it just happened. This is a love story, but it happens to be gay or this is a comedy mm-hmm. and it happens to be gay. Um, that kind of assimilationist thinking is just so devastating to me. And I do think yeah. that's where a lot of like straight actors who play these mainstream gay roles operate from. Interestingly, I think there's a huge difference there with bros, but that's <laughs> <laughs> that's actually next week. Sorry, I messed up the intro. So do you want to talk about this uh this quote I read from Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> in regards to <laughs> Brokeback Mountain before we get into Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, please is... take it away. <laughs> uh it said like, oh, Gyllenhaal found, you know, found the assertions flattering, saying I am open to whatever people want to call me. I've never really been attracted to men sexually, but I don't think I would be afraid of it if it happened. Ah, 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 I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be afraid. <laughs> and is it like, I don't think I'd be afraid of, of gay sex or like, I don't think I'd be afraid of discovering Falling the attraction in myself. <laughs> like, like, it's oh, so vague, it but I'm just like... So hard like i'm so glad i'm so glad that he can get some peace there it's great um so how did you how did you narrow down what you wanted to talk about this week boy oh boy um i god i could have talked about one million billion things i love queer cinema i love gay films i love gay films that are textually gay i love gay films that are subtextually gay um i was thinking a lot about what a gay macho was to me and i decided to go the route of these kind of major hollywood stars and also taking kind of a showbiz angle um I don't know. I, I but before I get into those, just kind of thinking about what does gay cinema mean? Like I, I am very mm-hmm. familiar with kind of like formal movements like new queer cinema, which I think is like has some of my favorite films in the world. But like as we reach more parody, I'm not going to say a lot of parody in like mm-hmm. mainstream filmmaking. Like is gay film as a movement? Only projecting gay people on screen. Do the creators have to share those identities? Where is there space for films that are iconic for gay people but are not gay at all? Like thinking about whatever mm. happened to Baby Jane, for example. Right. Um, and does that include films that we project gayness onto? Because I was really about to talk about Point Break, but there is no explicit gayness in it. You know what I mean? So right. I'm very interested in discussions of like what a gay cinema could look like. So... That said, I also think it's really interesting to think about the the identities of creators behind gay cinema. And in general, I don't really care what the background of a director or writer... Like, I don't think that straight people should be prohibited from making gay stories, per se. But, like, mm-hmm. there's a conversation there, for sure. And that comes up... I think it's mostly the crux of, like, the two films that I want to talk about um, today. So, I present to you 
Todd Haynes' 1998 new queer cinema masterpiece, Velvet Gold Mine, which I am comfortable calling this my favorite movie of all time. It's just insane. It's amazing. Um, it is a fictional biopic about the dramatic personal life of glam rock star Brian Slade. Was played by Jonathan Rhys Myers. Um, he's beautiful. He says probably twenty five words in the whole movie. It's perfect. Um, and the story is framed by this reporter and a former fan of Brian Slade's, who's kind of this like he went back into the closet uh, gay guy, Arthur Stewart, played by Christian Bale, another mm. crazy git. Um, and he talks to Brian Slade's former lover. Uh, who's played by Ewan McGregor, Kurt Wilde, uh, kind of a, a Nirvana-esque rocker. Um, and you see his whole dick in the movie, which is incredible. Um, I, have you seen it? I have to tell you, it is the greatest shame of my life that I have not seen this movie. As, like, <laughs> in high school, I was obsessed with Ewan McGregor. Be I loved cat. Jonathan Rhys Myers. I, like, no, no. Don't well, worry. I've seen you and McGregor in high school. I was like, mm, where can I find the pillow book? Like, how can I find <laughs> movies with you and McGregor naked in them? And yet, and I was, and I was writing slash fiction, like fanfic. I, I was wow. so like, oh my God, I want to see you and McGregor be gay and do sex. And yet, oh my God. I never have seen it. It just didn't happen. And I, don't, I have no happen. excuse. I, I owed it on DVD. It is impossible to find anywhere. So I got the fuck oh, up. Oh, my God. Um, it is brilliant. It is such a... I mean, Todd Haynes is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I think it is... It's brilliant. It's an incredible historical text. It's so referential. It's so... Like, indicative of Todd Haynes' style. Like, it's brilliant. It's so... So genius. So that deals with, you know, performance, queerness, queer history gay community in its own way but then i also watched behind the candelabra um which is a 2013 liberace biopic by steven soderbergh um yeah don't worry i've seen that <laughs> it's <laughs> i hadn't seen it before and for some reason i was like i need to watch it for this episode like i have to <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I sure well, did I also I like the I really like the layers of like these straight actors playing gay men who were had a public persona of flamboyant straight men. Yes, that yes. everyone knew were gay. There's <laughs> levels to this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, behind the candelabra, quite inexplicably, stars Matt Damon as <laughs> Scott Thorson, who plays uh, the younger lover to Michael Douglas's Liberace. Um, I do think both of them are giving really, really good performances, though. <laughs> I did Definitely enjoy it. Agree. Um, yeah. But my my first kind of... We kind of talked about this at, the t at up top, but it is so interesting to me that among the similarities between these two films, so we have showbiz, toxic gay showbiz relationships, uh, you know, issues of performance, glitz and glamour and identity... The real world similarity is that there it's just like such a stacked group of machos. Like you have the heartthrob of his day, Michael Douglas playing Liberace, which is crazy. Um, and then you have Ewan McGregor and Christian Bale, who are two hugely prestige actors. Um, Matt Damon, obviously, and then John Three Spires, who like is hot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's ever gonna reach the prestige that I want him to. Um, but it's very interesting to me how these 
films attracted such high level straight talent who were like mostly at the top of their game and neither film was really that successful um so it's just very interesting to me why these films compared to like for example the films that we're going to be talking about with you um you know were able to attract straight talent like this it's really interesting to me well, and there's a big difference between 1998 and 2013 in terms yeah. of, like, I think whether how much an actor might consider it a risk to take oh, yeah. in his career. I feel like 1998, like, who was the only out gay actor um, from my best friend's wedding? Oh, I, I can't remember Rupert his name. Everett. Rupert Everett. And, like, by 2013, even, I think it was seen more less as like a career ender or career, you know, damaging Mm -hmm. and more as like, ah, this could be your, this could be your, uh, awards. Your moment. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely remember there was a bit of a, the awards convo around behind the candelabra at the time, even though I think it was released as like an HBO TV movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. By the way, Scott, uh, Matt Damon is supposed to be playing someone who's like maybe in his twenties. He was 42 at the time of production. That it, and and somebody like the amount of plastic surgery that happens in that story too is yeah. there's so much dealing with like I mean it's literally about like putting on and taking off masks for sure. Well, I think both are both Velvet Goldmine and Behind the Candelabra. Um, I mean, the issue of performance. I just I love a, a showbiz film that is also gay. I feel like there's just so much richness in terms of performance and like spotlight and identity that obviously behind the candle album is like a little bit obvious with um you know Liberace wants to remake his his young man into like his image in this kind of strange way and also wants to adopt him like legally adopt him which is also yeah i don't know there's weird identity kind of shit there but velvet goldmine is also like Brian Slade is this glam rocker kind of in the tradition of David Bowie, who is constantly changing, constantly reinventing. The film is about him faking his own death and then like trying to figure out if he's still alive or not. There's just so much transience to it that really resonates Mm -hmm. with me. Um, That said, I think beyond those similarities, it's really interesting looking at both films based on like who they're coming from. Um, Yeah. I mean, Todd Haynes, I could talk about for ever and ever and ever. He is such a historical filmmaker and Velvet Goldmine is just stacked with these kind of incredible queer antiquities. Like it has this incredible Oscar Wilde framing where Oscar Wilde is an alien that's brought down from the sky. And then there's like, he has this brooch that's passed on to Brian Slade and then Kurt Wilde. But that framing is amazing. He includes Polari, which is like the secret gay code language that developed. This film just revels in like secrecy, like secret history and like shared language and customs in just like such a beautifully communal way. And it's such, it really is like, if you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine my mom watching this and understanding the goddamn thing that's going on. Um, Right, right. Yeah. Um, And... I, maybe this should have been a disclaimer at the top, but like you said, we're like you're maybe a little over the the straight actors can't play gay conversation. Mm-hmm. But like we're talking, we're using gay as like 
there's so much in these movies where it's like, well, David Bowie was pansexual. You know, like they're yeah. like different um Marilyn Monroe identifiers. was a size 16. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are talk. We're talking about these through our framings, but also mm-hmm. like it's Im- it's impossible to necessarily know what like people who are not around or fictional characters would have said about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I like what you said about just how much how much of I, I mean, taking a look at performance in the context of like gay characters on screen is like people just the fact that people are changing their names right like that we have stage names or there are so many you know writers of old who used pen names to obscure their gender or whatever it was um and how much of that is part of gay identity in these stories yeah big time and like again the masks right like the performance the experimentation and and especially in velvet goldmine because queer community and tradition and culture is so forefront it's like oh this is like a tradition of experimentation a tradition of finding out who you are through this through performance through dress through sex like it's it's really it's oh it's so special but it also it shares with behind the candelabra that there's like a central relationship a central gay relationship between Mm. um christian bale's uh arthur the reporter or no not christian i mean he's reporting on the relationship between uh brian slade jonathan reese myers and kerr wilds uh hugh mcgregor who we see from their meeting they're obsessed with one another they start an affair and are like lovers and that it just ends horribly dramatically but compared to behind the candelabras kind of truly for lack of a better term like heterosexual treatment of that main relationship that between yeah scott and liberace like velvet goldmine feels so authentically gay in that way because i think it's from todd haynes like when Mm -hmm. we see brian the main character cheating on his literal wife uh mandy played by tony collette by the way she's fantastic as always um oh my god kurt there's not really like the same straight melodrama that you would get in kind of a, a, a relationship drama like this I wrote in the show notes like like as if this were revolutionary road and people were like screaming and shit at each other. Like that's kind of the first yeah. thing that popped into mind when I thought about the alternative. Um, but that also feels really real to the gay experience, like the fluidity with sexuality um and relationships, which the film really digs into, compared to Behind the Candelabra, which barely touches on gayness beyond it being extremely subtextual. Like, I mean, it's obvious they're in a gay right. relationship, but it is never explicit. But now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, maybe that's kind of brilliant. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, a f- I'm, yeah, there is, yeah. there is this, like, I don't know if it's an instinct of like Hollywood and, and for several, for a lot of people, it, it's just part of a biographical truth that mm-hmm. like, Oh, there were wives. Hap- also, there were mm-hmm. also wives in these stories. And like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Elton John, <laughs> Freddie Mercury, like those, they, they had wives, you know, like, but yeah. is that the, I think that whether the filmmaker is trying to make it like, well, the point is he mm-hmm. was cheating with men versus like, <laughs> no, the point is he had this life. And also one of his, one part of his life was he was married to her. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about 
Rocket Man, right? I don't know if we have a man. Rocket Man was a huge era for me. He like I don't know why, but I was like, this bad movie is the best movie I've ever seen in my goddamn life. Like it, <laughs> it was really something. I can only imagine the chokehold that Taron Edgerton had over your heart <laughs> at that period of time. <laughs> I, I have to show you something insane in real time. Okay, <laughs> give me one second. Oh, please. This is absolutely worth it. So in 2019, when Rocket Man came out, my roommate and I instantly became hyper fixated on this film for whatever, like obsessed with Taron Edgerton. Like he's the doll. He's the boy. He's <laughs> it. He's the moment. Um, but we basically ran Rocket Man's awards campaign <laughs> in, in Q4 of 2019. And hey, we got a Golden yeah. Globe, all right? Um, we got each other this pillow that it's it's like so old i essentially use it as a desk now but we got each other <laughs> oh wow it's like a faux watercolor it's horrible painting, it's from like society print. six i have to hide it every time i have a zoom call i mean if i were him I would have put a hit out on Rami Malek because Rami Malek <laughs> winning for Bohemian Rhapsody is the reason Taron yes. Edgerton got completely shut out. And it sucks because I it's agree. so such a better performance. And uh, yeah, Agreed. it's really, um, you know, <laughs> I've told you, I think that for my uh, for maybe for my 40th birthday, I want all my friends to recreate the music video, the Elton John <laughs> music video. Yeah. For, I'm still standing. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be incredible. Well, listen, uh, Austin Butler, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> Just say, <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Oh. Um, but that, anyway, that all said, <laughs> um, I feel Relevant. that way about that Rocket Man. Really though. important. Like, like, there seemed to be some kind of queer consciousness, consciousness or like heartbeat behind it. And I do think, I mean, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't think the director is gay, but obviously Elton John is a producer on it. And I really feel that with Rocket Man, form contributes to it being a queer film. Like there's something about camp and musicality and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of that feeling of bombasticness, like I mentioned up top, that, you know, gives it that heartbeat in a way that I was missing from Behind the Candelabra. Like Behind the Candelabra spans like six or seven years. There's no yeah. mention of gay community really or mm. a gay fandom or i mean it's all baked in but it's just like wow there's nothing like nothing and as such it's, it really is then one of those hollywood it happens to be a biopic or a romantic drama but it is also just gay by the way <laughs> right well and this is like a an unusual case in which we're talking about public figures i mean especially for for Liberace, but where being gay is both like crucial to their persona mm -hmm. but also you know marginalized and and hidden from view i've i haven't seen the new um little richard documentary that's out that people are saying mm. great things about i haven't seen it either but a apparently it goes into like both his sexuality but then also his like um strong religious convictions and mm -hmm. it's like well little richard probably wouldn't be little richard without his you know without all right. of those things and so um it lends this like 
this texture to these men that we're looking at that you aren't necessarily seeing when you're just talking about like a war hero, a sports hero, um, a macho who's macho for all these other reasons. This is like much more complicated for these individual men because we don't know how much could be public and how much could be private. But no gay community in like the life of Liberace, that doesn't feel like a story. It feels like a photograph. Agree. And it's, I, I love what you said about little Richard, like the identity piece being complicated or maybe kind of undefinable because I think that's how so many people experience sexuality. Like there's not Mm. a cut and dry label or community for it. And that's fine. Like it literally makes no difference really. It is just kind of a sexual proclivity thing, which that's fascinating to me too. Like stories about people like little Richard or even like velvet Goldmine kind of deals with that fluidity in a really interesting way where it's like, well, nobody ever puts a label on it, but there is explicit gay sex. There's straight sex. Nobody is putting too fine a point on it because maybe it's more complex than that. Whereas at the same time behind the candelabra, I mean, as much as I'm like, there's no gayness in it. It's like, they're gay. They're a gay couple. And then they're <laughs> monogamous and they're a couple like every other couple and they're gay. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of rigidity there. Like, and for, for the record, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I, th- I think Matt Damon, when he commits, he can act his fucking ass off. And I love to see it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was missing that kind of knowledge, I think, is maybe the, the overarching term that um, a lot of great queer work that I consider great, at least, has. Um, so it's basically a gay film with a heterosexual subtext. <laughs> yeah, which is very interesting to me. <laughs> Um, I think that there are a lot of films like that, including maybe one that you're talking about, it could be argued. And I don't think that's a bad thing, obviously. Like, I don't think Steven Soderbergh should be canceled for directing a gay movie. (laughs) Um, I mean, he did, (laughs) he did Magic Mike. Okay. Like we, we have to have him around for that. Um, yeah. Um, okay. But like, is this the moment for the Matt Damon, um, breakdown? (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) Let's do it. I saw this in your notes and laughed out loud. (laughs) I mean, yeah, skipping ahead, I'm going to be spending some time talking about Brokeback Mountain, but I always, you know, uh, there's something that comes up that came up more recently, but Matt Damon was uh, in talks to be in Brokeback Mountain when the movie had been acquired and potentially was going to be directed by Gus Van Sant. And uh, he said, basically... Uh, he was going to do a gay movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Then he was going to do a cowboy movie, All the Pretty Horses. So he said, I can't follow it up with a gay cowboy movie. <laughs> L- oh, like, LOL. And also, that is ha- that is how it works. Like, that is how these yeah. actors' careers work. Is you do is have funny. to say, like... <laughs> oh, like totally. <laughs> I, I, totally. I laughed. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, actresses who say, I can't play a mom of somebody that old because then I will no longer ever get roles except as right. like some old lady like that is true for actors but I think that what was amazing to me was the 2021 <laughs> revelation <laughs> that Matt Damon had to stop using the F slur <laughs> in 2021 <laughs> because his daughter told him to and Everyone was like, wait, so you were just casually using it in your life, even even like, like after I'm literally from Boston. And- so, yeah. 
<laughs> what do you expect? And then he put out like another statement. He was like, it was a joke in my 2003 movie Stuck on You. Like, it's not <laughs> just old that old fashioned. Like, that movie's very recent. Like, he explained okay. this to his daughter. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. You know, he texted me that night and he was like, is it true that saying this <laughs> is not okay? And I was like, I honestly think it's like, it's fine. But like, you probably should put out a statement. <laughs> Do you know what that reminds me of? Are you what? talking about your Taryn Edgerton pillow? <laughs> this was like early in my days of like, you know, I had, I went to girls school, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know any boys until college. And somewhere like in those early years after college, like the boys who had been in the closet or who were in the process of coming out, like when we were in school, um, were now living in the world and i remember catching up with one of them and we were on a long drive and i was like asking him like i was like you know you don't have to answer these this question but like i had some question about like sexual politics like a, a, <laughs> between between men and i was like i don't even remember what the question was but it was like one of those like one of those like very you know a question your your parent might ask you like kinds of things <laughs> And he was like deeply uninterested in the conversation and was like kind of casually looking at his phone. And you his were on your was, Hannah Horvath shit. For sure. <laughs> but the response he gives me, I was like, oh my God, like I'll literally, like I can literally never talk to any human again after this was, um, look, Kat, I'd really love to talk more about this, but <laughs> Kim Jong-il just died. <laughs> Oh my god you know and obviously you started talking about that and i remember thinking like mm, i'm gonna have to do my own research <laughs> oh, like oh i can think god. of no better way to shut down a conversation that than is, revealing the news <laughs> that is so funny that's oh my god incredible wow oh, thank you so much for that yeah. Um, You're welcome. Okay, before I transition this <laughs> to you, yeah, I want this is. I mean, gay movies are my favorite thing in the world. It's my life. It's whatever. I want to give a quick list of some gay macho for macho films that I really recommend. These are pretty much all about gay men. Odds uh, based on the conversation. Um, the Birdcage, obviously, one of my favorite films of all time hilarious uh brilliant funniest movie ever in the world cruising by william friedkin a foundational text for me also insane uh al pacino does boppers it's everything (laughs) um swoon i would also highly recommend it is a new queer cinema film kind of docudrama about um a gay serial killer it's very interesting very good um please baby please from last year uh so okay i actually think you would really love this one so 
strange um about a straight couple both kind of discovering their sexual and gender identities after a run-in with a sexy biker gang um mm. it's great highly recommend and then finally if you want to get real obscure with it rotting in the sun um from sebastian silva premiered at sundance this year currently in talks to be acquired if it ever is i highly recommend it uh just gay misanthropic uh murder mystery comedy that is Ooh. everything it's so good i love gay cinema happy to be here so taking us from the stadium stage down to the working working man's day Place. that's where i'm going <laughs> um I found it really interesting that, like, when I was thinking specifically about machos in gay cinema and not, you know, there's, there's, initially I was like, oh, you know, Hollywood cinema with gay themes. And I thought of Tu Wong Fu and The Adventures of Priscilla and, like, okay. some of those movies that were, um, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, it's the first movie I remember seeing in theaters, actually. Yeah. <laughs> My parents took me to see it when I was a kid. Incredible. And, um... Then I was like, you know, those movies have such like masculine men and they're playing drag queens. But I kind of wanted to take a look at the like the the gay man who is he's gay, but he's also like a working class. He's not a performer. And especially um, it's something that when people talk about like gay movies, like Brokeback Mountain is one of the one of the top ones. So I wanted to of recent years. I wanted to kind of get into that one. Um, and I want to completely disclaim that, like, I feel really weird talking about Tom of Finland to <laughs> my friend who has a Tom of Finland tattoo. Oh, my God. No, we're going to learn together, babe. I just, like, I thought, I think that, like, looking at blue-collar identity or values or careers um, and its overlap with with the gay with gay men or gay culture like you have to look at leather culture <laughs> and you have to look at these kinds of like um very ma macho gay subcultures <laughs> so i will use the tom of finland biopic from a few years it's just like a little bit of a a framing for that background oh, i haven't um, seen any tom of finland films uh the, so the biopic they, nor the doc i think there's a doc right yeah, the doc is from the '90s, um, which I would be real. I'm really interested to watch that because uh, it's from more recently after he passed away. Whereas this Tom of Finland, uh, which is just called Tom of Finland, uh, <laughs> uh, film from 2017, it was like funded by the Finnish Arts Council. Mm. Like this, Love what's that. amazing is that uh, Toku Laksonen, who was the artist known as Tom of Finland, <laughs> is one of Finland's great cultural exports. And the country embraces that. That's great. And it makes me so happy because it's not like, oh, he was a Finnish and he was an artist and we embrace him. And did you know he Wink. was gay? Yeah. It's like, no, what he was inspirational for, what he was influential for was homoerotic art. Yeah. And that is some that the country, I think, has embraced that is fantastic I mean, I'll just jump ahead that in 2014, the Postal Service put out first class stamps with some of his artwork on them. Whoa. If you wait. scroll down in the notes, you can incredible. see the picture. 
<laughs> oh my god. I mean, I'm gonna need to find these on eBay. There's a full butt in one of these stamps. Uh, it's fantastic. Amazing. And the they were obviously the best selling stamps ever published by the Finnish Postal Service. Yeah. People from 178 countries pre ordered them when they were announced. Oh. Um, I have been trying to track down. There is a there were several Tom of Finland cross stitch kits that were <laughs> yes. released by the Tom of Finland <laughs> Foundation a few years ago, but they're very expensive on resale. Oh. Um. So this movie came out in 2017, and I'd had a personal, um, you know, I don't know, disclaimer, whatever. Uh, I'm not a member of the leather community, but I've been a fan of Tom of Finland for many years. I think I remember the first time I was walking past like a gay bookstore in um, Hillcrest, the gay hey. neighborhood in San Diego, and they had a Christmas window display that was all Tom of Finland, like ornaments and books and calendars and things mm -hmm. like on a Christmas tree. And his artwork was just beautiful to me. Um, it was something that I wasn't expecting and it had been around for decades, but mm -hmm. I just thought like he has such a distinct style and I like to refer to him as the Thomas Kincaid of homo-masculinity <laughs> <laughs> in the way that people say, like, oh, you can always tell a Tom of Finland drawing, of course. Yeah. Like, so his art is very stylized, and it's, like, deceptively simple because it's illustration. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, especially later in his career, his, his drawings begot, became a lot more, like, photorealistic. Mm -hmm. um, and I could almost see, like like a mail away art school being like, learn how to draw your own Tom of Finland yeah. drawing because they all have that. a very similar format. The men are, they're extremely muscular and they're round. They're all very round in a way <laughs> that is um, like done with shading you know and I mean? light. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. There's, there's like a juiciness of course. Yes, Absolutely. And they have big butts and big bulges. And, um, you know, a lot of the the drawings do have them clothed in tight fitting clothes, but there are certainly more explicit drawings. He did like 3,500 illustrations. Um, and this uh, biopic is really well made because there. it's a great story of a man. Like it's not just a tale of like this culture. It's not just a tale of this impact. It shows how he was a man who would do pornographic drawings to get himself off. And that's okay. how it started. But he was drawing uh, pictures of male laborers. And then he served in World War II. And that's where his art style kind of really took off. Yeah. The aesthetic fetishizing un men in uniform was... Uh, cemented at this time yeah and not just for him i mean he didn't invent this like um there was a the rise in like leather culture and biker culture really took off after world war ii mm -hmm. everyone has seen marlon brando's the picture of marlon brando is like <laughs> this little leather biker cap Boy, um, <laughs> so it was this like kind of next step i think in the evolution of like gay male imagery okay. um because previously it had all been this sort of winking under the radar thing um a lot of uh pictures 
photo spreads, magazines dedicated to athletes, athletic mm. men, wrestlers, right. bodybuilders. That was kind of where, uh, with censorship laws, um, gay pornography could exist yeah. in the margins. And then kind of bringing it into these more uh, editorial storytelling drawings that uh, Tom of Finland was doing, uh, pushed it to the next step. So... <laughs> Uh, I hadn't really thought about it until you're talking about the fact that there are sort of like central relationships in, uh, beyond the candelabra and velvet goldmine, but also, <laughs> uh, Loxanen, Tom of Finland, he did have a partner for 30 years of his life. This biopic tells that story as well. Yeah. Um, and he also had a very close relationship with his sister. They were both artists. They both worked in advertising and... Um, Tom's partner was a dancer. So they were in this sort of like mid-century artistic part of the world in Helsinki. And that oh. is something that you won't see in any other movie, probably. Dreamy. Oh, yeah. That sounds amazing. I also just, I think it's it's always interesting to me the kinds of professions or identities that gay fetish emulates and how that can be problematic mm -hmm. occasionally like yes. the cop shit um totally. that's, there's a huge moment for that in cruising by the way which is interesting but i i mean that is a reaction to historical oppression as well like it's just it's fascinating yes. that like the objective fetishizing is often groups that you would think would you know be not as excellent revered yeah i mean so much of of this you know there are scenes in this movie that come from like times he was afraid times yeah. he was afraid uh because he was in in war in combat times yeah. he was afraid because the park was being raided by the police and they had mm -hmm. these big leather boots and nightsticks and what did that how how did that fear blend with the eroticism of it yeah um he was very vocal in his later years. Some of his early drawings included Nazi soldiers who <laughs> were the people he was fighting against in World War II. That's what I said. It's something in leather, too. Like, there's a whole kind of skinhead thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Subculture. He was absolutely, like, very clear and said, like, I'm not saying verbatim, but he said, I am disgusted by all of the ideology. <laughs> I found the uniforms sexy. Like yeah. that is why I did those drawings, but I, but then they were not included in retrospectives of his work that were published later. Um, and there's a, an editor, I don't know any background on her. So I'm almost like nervous to quote <laughs> her because I'm not sure, um, <laughs> what her story is. Diane Hansen. Does that name ring a bell? No. Okay. We're just fingers crossed here. <laughs> um, so she spoke about uh, the central character in a lot of Tom's art, who is named Kake. That's a Finnish word that kind of means butch, um, or it's like con connotes that. And he's the he's been a character in many many of Tom of Finland's uh, comics. He is actually played by an actor in the movie because he sometimes shows up to just kind of wink at Tom <laughs> in the corner of a scene, like Ka Kake embodied. Um, I love that. And Hansen described uh, this character as 
a sort of Johnny Appleseed traveling the world on his motorcycle, spreading the seeds of liberated, mutually satisfying, ecstatically explicit gay sex. Um, And I just think that there is, that is something that with all of that um, fetishization and the fact that we have cops and sailors and all these like, you know, industrialized or militarized Mm -hmm. groups, there is joy in all of this art. And I think that like, looking back at that and thinking about seeing that window display in that bookstore, I was like, that's what struck me is I was like, yes, joy, Christmas, happy (laughs) and happy with big, bulging, beautiful men (laughs) who are having the time of their lives, having orgies on top of each other. And it is fantastic. I am getting Um, you a Tom of ornament for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. Um, and then the movie, you know, does go into uh, some of like the his later years when he eventually was able. He had been mailing away his art to publications in the U.S. for many decades while he was still working as an advertising illustrator in Helsinki. And uh, by the time he ended up traveling the world and going to International Mister Leather and being given honorifics mm. and welcomed into every party and nightclub. They were like, oh, my God, you are our hero. We've looked at your art for decades. And he was just like, oh, oh, amazing. I've just been doing uh, this. Like, this has just been my life on the side. Like, this is my side hustle. And so yet, cool. It's very cool. Um, I love, I just, I mean, the the real kind of, if you know, you know, secret, shared history aspect of all of these films. Is, I just love it. yeah it's really sweet and one more point on that like the kind of troublesome nature of some of the fetish uh side of this is that like i and i'd like to read more about this but there are black men in his work as well as white men and they are portrayed in a way that is like in line with a lot of stereotypical depictions of sexualized black men but that is the way that tom's drawings um depict all of the men that he depicts so that's sort of interesting i'm curious you know have people gone into the notion that like uh where was tom of finland seeing these guys (laughs) you know did he have models uh in helsinki in the 50s i don't i don't know um but interesting uh really recommend the movie um i feel like i saw it at like the 10 a.m matinee (laughs) (laughs) at like a lemley probably (laughs) absolutely at the pasadena lemley with like three (laughs) old guys and me and i was just like yay like i i think that's what's so interesting about his art is that it is like i find it incredibly welcoming and I don't know why I feel that way. Again, I just think because there's such like kind of verve in it. Yeah. That he's had, you know, there have been exhibits. There was a Toshin art book. Um, yeah. And man, I want that book. Just yeah. I mean, it's just but such a great a real a real legacy. The the film yeah. also gets into how he was able to have books published in the first place because no, um, oh. you know, they were trying to get it published not by pornography publishers, oh. but book publishers wouldn't touch it so yeah there's a some interesting plot that happens i love um, that it's cool yeah i should check this one out so uh 
Oh, and I also wanted to mention, I'll link it in the show notes, but there is a, we, we might have talked about it a couple of episodes ago, a podcast called The Competition. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second season of it uh, is all about the uh, Los Angeles leather competition mm-hmm. and does portray a few different people. In particular, I always remembered an interview with a man named Jose who talks about being a younger man, being HIV positive, being Latino, and being in this community. Okay. And looking to, or, or trying to identify, like, when did my interest in, like, leather um, start? And he can remember just the impact that the boots of his working class father had on him when he was young. Mm. Not the, sorry, not the, like, impact the boots had on him physically, <laughs> just, like, seeing them and having a feeling for them. And, uh, wait, did I have a point? I did have a point. Did I have a point? It's a good, it's a good, it's a good series. I don't know. That's all. It is very good. Sorry. I did have a point, (laughs) (laughs) which was, uh, in, in the context of our like machos, uh, examination here, we've looked at how, like when there are straight characters in movies, and they display a sort of like typically or traditionally feminized quality mm-hmm. that becomes gay coded. It becomes like, oh, well, he's he's uh, sensitive. He's gay. He's what this he must art. mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> art equals gay. Yeah. And this culture just kind of reverses that. It's like a gaze that associates these masculinized qualities of. Yeah oppressors or of tough men of dads of of working class like macho guys with a sense of power and pride that is otherwise mm-hmm. um not always afforded to people in the community so i love that um yeah so i rewatched Brokeback mountain damn can you quit me no obviously not uh <laughs> where were, when did you first when did you first see this movie I was, when it came out, I would have been nine years old, so definitely not then. Um, I think I watched it for the first time in college at some point, but I have, I honestly, I I wouldn't consider myself as having seen this movie. Oh, wow. Believe it or not. Uh, Because my associations with it from literally the award cycle it happened in. Yeah is that it's just like been a huge punchline. I know it's a great movie, but like that was right. such the cultural conversation. It really, really was. I mean, this, I I feel like my friends and I were just so hyped to see this movie. Uh, um, it came out when we were call- in college. Um, okay. But we had, I mean, Heath Ledger was remains oh. one of the all-time hottest people hottest hotties in, of all time of all time like he never oh he's just i remember i mean when i was like young i took he had a vanity fair cover and i tore all of the pictures out of that photo <laughs> spread out and i put them on my wall and my parents you know i had all these pictures of, of like people on my wall everybody from like hot people to like comedy mm-hmm. people that i liked whatever but I, he like showed his pubes in it. And I was like, man, my parents must have been like, God, our daughter is like too horny because it was, <laughs> these pictures were so hot. And 
I and then I remember it being announced like Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal are going to be in the gay cowboy movie. Uh-huh. And I, we were just like, we're there. We're there day one. Yeah. And that's how I felt about Call like, Me By Your Name. After hearing Suzanne yeah. Stevens just doing the soundtrack, I was like, well, I'm simply <laughs> like literally same college age. Thing. Like, yes, yeah. completely. I feel you. Feel you. And it, it was like, it, what, it was very like ripe for, for punchline in a weird way mm-hmm. because there's just like so many pieces to it that it's like, it has to kind of fight against, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, between the fact that the casting of Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, they're sort of like pretty and young and just the mere fact they were cast all of a sudden it was like oh yeah of course donnie darko is gay like now that's the conversation is like well these guys are secretly gay um the fact that they were cowboys which just has this connotation like it, it wasn't like oh now here's a great big hollywood movie about gay men in the 60s it was that they were gay cowboys in the 60s that's and fa- like just the cowboy bit sorry to interrupt yeah. is just so no. fascinating because when we talked about machos who fuck yeah. both i mean i both of the the films i watched midnight cowboy and hustler white make a point of displaying mm-hmm. that like the cowboy aesthetic is something that gay clients want like it is a gay thing yeah. if you're a gay sex worker um a la the tom of finland kind of working class aesthetic yeah, and it's very um it's very sexual. I mean, like there's there's so much about like br- bronco riding that they're talking about uh-huh. in this that is like, you know, even in whatever mainstream pop country song Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy, like we can talk yeah. about how there's just like a sexual connotation to all of this stuff. Um yeah. and Unfortunately, especially of the era of our late night uh, pundits talking about yeah. things and our 24-hour news pundits, the name Brokeback Mountain just lends itself to a lot of shitty puns. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. You had pundits calling it, you know, hump, Humpback Mountain or whatever, like stuff, shit yeah. like that. So <laughs> it's like, I feel like it had everything kind of stacked against it. Yeah. And I remember going into the theater like with my girlfriends like holding hands being like oh my god we're about to see like the two men we love fall in love oh and then it it starts and i was like i truly don't know i remember feeling like i don't know if i want this to be a good movie or if i just want it to be like a full-on cinemax like crappy just like yes porn like softcore yeah yeah and uh yes spoiler alert it's a beautiful movie (laughs) um and it's it's so interesting i mean watching it again i was looking at it from the context of like what being blue collar meant to these characters because they were put in this situation where they had like financial insecurity and instability yeah and they took this horrible job i mean this horrible job in terms of like bad weather eating cans of beans like exclusively unless you could hunt something to eat um all summer herding sheep that's how they these two characters meet and when their first summer like term gets canceled early the the guy who owns all the sheep is like ah there's gonna be a big storm why don't you bring them back a month early 
there's both two things happening. One is like, oh no, we're not going to have our secret private life together anymore. Yeah. And well, shit, now I don't have that extra month of wages I needed. Right. And I think there was just something really interesting about like the tenuousness of these relationships that are made just so much more fraught by uh, poverty. And, you know, all of the relationships in this movie are really affected by uh, income. So what happens most of the movie, I mean, is what happens after that summer on Brokeback Mountain when these two men go back to their lives. Um, Heath Ledger plays Ennis, who stays in Wyoming, gets married to his wife, Alma, played by Michelle Williams. And there's a lot of like their sex scenes are kind of tied up in like, or, or they're not just their sex scenes, their fight scenes, their, their dinner scenes are tied up in like, well, I need to take a shift. Well, why do you think I can watch the kids just because you can go, uh, get another job? Um, she doesn't want to have sex without protection if he won't be able to support the children. So there's like a lot yeah. of just like finance that we're dealing with. And in contrast to like, you know, that's why cowboys, I mean, they could have been factory workers. They could have been like another kind of um, low income blue collar worker. But this story wouldn't be this story if they were uh Com- executives who met on a company <laughs> retreat and had like a magical romance you know it wouldn't be there wouldn't be this kind of tension of like what that do you mean like film would be called <laughs> are you ready for the title I'm we ready. have to perfect our pitch two truths okay. and a lie <laughs> hello <laughs> and like the what's the tag it's like sometimes a trust fall <laughs> sometimes you trust fall in love oh my god wait i'm like is this the patreon well we'll discuss i'm like (laughs) who are we casting okay continue (laughs) so these two men are kept apart by you name it like Uh uh the the what makes this a kind of 20 year long love story is that um jack played by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is like, we can have a life together. We can just go like live in a cabin and, and work on the ranch. And like, nobody's going to bother us. Bestie vibes. And the total bestie vibes, <laughs> like Boston marriage or whatever. Exactly. Um, and Ennis, who like grew up seeing, uh, having a very like homophobic, violent father. Um, he's like, no, that's not possible. Like we have lives, we have children, we have wives, we have to have work. We're not going to be in the world. We're not going to be in society. It's not possible. And he's saying all of these things. I mean, he's in rural uh, Wyoming, but uh, he's saying all of these things from 1963 to 1983. And it's so interesting that like that, that felt very true at the time, but at the same time, there were people in cities looking at Tom of Finland <laughs> drawings yeah. and like having relationships, you know, like this is all happening while Liberace is happening. Like all of this, right. oh, that's it's not like this is a story from like 1810, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously just to kind of like wrap up on the gay cowboy thing, like 
when this movie came out and it's been talked about and published so much since then but there is a long history of like homosexual relationships being okay. commonplace in the frontier or like out in isolation um so a lot of the discourse about this movie also became like well were they actually gay or was it just that uh, like they were lonely and they had each other which is the ultimate like if it happened to me i wouldn't be afraid of it <laughs> and all. i'm different so, uh, <laughs> um it's it's a very you know it's a very touching um movie about about loss and yeah. about grief that's interesting though um, the yeah. the identity piece of it because i mean it just goes back to that kind of fluidity of identity that we just don't have language for like that's how like when we were talking about velvet goldmine i mean there's no real labeling there's no real like I don't know desire to categorize or box in with a lot of these like mainstream gay films in a weird way yeah you know? there's also a, a um a play in this movie with like what intimacy looks like for yeah. these two characters and there's a lot of like blending between aggression and sex and laughter and fun yeah. and tenderness and it's like because these are also men who are in a, like a part of culture and society where they are not allowed to feel really anything <laughs> yeah. um that in this experience they get to feel everything i think yeah. also just makes for a very um a, a very heightened storytelling yeah um I just want to kind of uh, wrap up on Brokeback Mountain with something that I read about uh, Annie Pruel, who wrote the short story <laughs> that it was based on. So there's this line in the movie where um, Jack's saying, hey, we can, you know, why don't we do this? You, why don't you get a divorce and we'll we'll just go live together? We'll just go have a life. And Ennis says, like, that's not possible. And if you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. So you just have to be able to bear up under the difficulties of the world you live in, the hand you're dealt. So at first, when the movie came out, Pruel said, I'm probably the only writer who's ever had like her work so truthfully, faithfully adapted to the screen. Like Man. I got to see my story come to life without any concessions. Cool. Years later, she was like, I regret that that movie ever got made. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Simply because she gets so much fan fiction sent to her <laughs> by... Oh, my like, God. So many alternate, like, stories or versions are sent to her by, like, men who said, you can't write men because you're a woman. Or oh. people who wanted to see a, a happier ending or a different outcome. And she said... They certainly don't get the message that if you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. <laughs> I just thought that was incredible. Oh my God. <laughs> I am very curious. I mean, I don't think it's official, obviously, by any means, but the Pedro Amadovar film, mm. short film that's opening can is he has described it as a response to Brokeback Mountain, quote unquote. Yeah. Or like a Brokeback Mountain that actually has like a like explicit gay sex in it. Um, I'm curious if she is going to be there. <laughs> Probably not. Very, or if she'll see it and have a take. 
what very interested in that because Almodovar was uh, um, in talks at one point to direct this movie. Yeah. And he said he didn't want to do it because he wouldn't have full creative control. Yeah. 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 So, well, yeah, like, that is, sure. that's the question too is like, um, would, you know, would Annie Pruel only have found her story to be well told by someone like Ang Lee, a straight man yeah. who, you know, I think tells the story very beautifully or is that not the story she was trying to tell? Um, was it that he wanted Rossi De Palma to play every character? In which case, <laughs> I would like to see it. Um, but uh, just finally, like mini, mini recommendation on like another kind of Hollywood kind yeah. of goes down easy movie, which is Pride by Matthew Warchus from 2014. So fun. So good. It's so fun. Um, I feel like this is a great kind of great blend cast. of such a good cast. We talked about George Mackay, our yeah. <laughs> our baby boy, George Mackay. Baby boy. Oh my God. Freaking <laughs> Patty Considine, underrated. So, I mean, yeah. I know he's literally in House of the Dragon, but his, his stuff is so underrated. He's amazing. Dominic West, Andrew Scott. Um, Slay. Bill Nye, of course. Oh. And like all the ladies, your Imelda Stauntons are there. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is a good blend, I think, between the like, the working class blue collar stuff that I was talking about mm -hmm. and a little bit more of the like leaning into gay culture or out uh, experience that was mm -hmm. happening at the time in the 80s. It's a based on a true story about a group of lesbian and gay activists who supported the British miners strike in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and what's kind of great to see in this movie, I mean, it's a it's a character story. You're following people who are dealing with like, well, I know what it was like to grow up in a small Welsh mm -hmm. mining town and they were super homophobic to me and I do not want to support the miners to a more, I believe he was a communist, the leader of this mm -hmm. group who said, you know, the oppressed have to have solidarity in order to take yeah. down the oppressor because if they are oppressed, we are oppressed and vice versa. Um, and showing how that existed when you had a pretty uh, xenophobic, homophobic um community and then you also had like in the right. cities the lesbian and gays support the minors group right. um yeah so check that one out like i said it goes down real smooth it's uh, i like i would love to tell people to watch um bpm which is uh oh that act up movie from a couple yeah. of years ago but like you're gonna have to steal yourself for a lot of like crying about aids when you watch yeah. that movie <laughs> it is fantastic like, yeah it's so good and it is I, it is really a great machos who love machos movie because yeah it's sexual and it's political and um it's a very like there are parts of that movie that i'm like i don't know if i could watch that again it there was so much grief uh yeah. in it but also um everyone needs to learn more about act up <laughs> um, yeah they're like the activist organization that I think um, just should be taught in school. You should know about it. Yeah. So have you seen how to survive a plague? I haven't uh, seen it for a second. I thought you were talking about all the beauty and the bloodshed, but no, no. Um, how to survive a plague is about act up. It's a documentary. It's really good. Very comprehensive based on the book of the same name. Um, great starting point. I think. Yeah, I will be checking that out 
uh, for sure. And like, there's, Ugh, okay, look, I don't, we, we don't need to like invent just now. Now we're going to talk about AIDS. Like now this podcast is like, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Just how to survive a plague. Let's watch it. Then you can go watch uh, all of these <laughs> movies and see that there is so much to talk about on this subject. Um, yeah. I would be curious if you actually like sit and watch Brokeback Mountain um, to let me know what you think. I'm sure I'll love it, honestly. Like, I, I'll have to, I'll have to fast track that one for sure. Um, and and the, uh, the Thomas Dimblin biopic sounds fun, like much funner than I thought it was going to be. But all these apprehensive about portrayals of his work. So that's, that's great. It's really delightful. And um, the casting is also just, I mean, it's very, very good. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be right back to share this season's version of the Freak Out Macho of the Week. Hey, FFR listeners. Are you signed up to our Patreon yet? If you're not, you're missing out on special content made exclusively for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, that means that you're not helping me get paid. And if you're not helping me get paid, that means my good little dog Griffin isn't getting the good treats. Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Become a patron to get great content and also to make sure my dog Griffin gets the good treats. Oh, and you get the good treats as well, which in your case would be quality discussions about media. Now it's time to talk about the macho that's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. AC, talk to me. Have we ever done a macho that is infuriating us? Maybe next uh, week. Yeah. <laughs> Optimus <laughs> Prime. That man pisses me off. And he's a man. Um, <laughs> By the way, I did have a long conversation this week about with someone about like, how, why could, op- can we consider Optimus Prime <laughs> a boy? I think that was how the conversation went. Is he a boy and... or a girl or, I, or neither? Uh, I mean, neither to me, but <laughs> yeah, he's a boy to me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> our matcha this week is not infuriating us or upsetting us. He is thrilling and moving us. I would say I mostly <laughs> just wanted to pick him because he's a very hot gay guy, um, which we love. So yeah, welcome macho of the week to the hall of machos, Coleman Domingo. It's one of the hottest gay men we have these days. You may know him from Fear the Walking Dead. I certainly don't. I know him from Euphoria. <laughs> Zola. I think he's underrated in Zola. He's going full wacky with it. Uh, and the new Candyman from Mia DaCosta. Yes. Um, he is so beautifully hot. Um, and I really wanted to highlight how he met his husband. Uh, if Ooh. you're unfamiliar with how. He and his husband are both beautiful, and they run a production company in Los Angeles. They're so cool. Um, big fan. Okay, so this is from an out article, which, haha, <laughs> very funny. Um, here is what we have. His husband's name is, let me find out. Raul. I didn't, I did know that for some reason. That's hot. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As one in a series of modern lovers story, Domingo recounts the story of how back in 2005, he went to a Berkeley, California Walgreens to pick up a Queen Helene mud mask. First of all, obsessed. 
obsessed. That's incredible. It was there that he saw Raul, who was on the phone. The pair locked eyes, but Raul was being pulled out of the store by a friend. This was a miscatch if there ever was one. And that's what Craigslist is for. No. Uh, So Raul writes a post that says, I saw you outside of Walgreens in Berkeley. And then Coleman Domingo finds it later while searching for, quote, a used iPod touch on Craigslist. (laughs) And he wrote back via email and said, to the sweet angel with the most arresting eyes. (gasps) And then that's how they met. This is a little, to me, this is crazy, but to some people it might be lovely. Um, The last part of the article says, on their first date, when Domingo Thabro was asleep, he whispered, I think I love you. So there's that. <laughs> I get it. It's cute and maybe even hot, but I would be like, okay, this is insane. But you it never depends. know. It depends. It depends on the people in the room. Ugh. I am obsessed with that story being public. Like, thank you. Thank you. It's incredible. It's so sweet. That's the epitome of, Lord, I have seen what you have done for others. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? um, Big time. I, I mean, I didn't know that, like, there were good stories that came out of misconnections. And this is yeah. the only, this is the best story to come out of that. So lovely. They got married in a ceremony where they just told friends they were having a party and to come over. Sweet. And then they came over and were like, surprised we're being, we're getting married and had a little ceremony oh. and then a party. Like, he's the coolest. And uh. he's definitely one of those um, red carpet style icons i think yes. of today's man yes like yes i always remember him at the end of an awards show i'm like oh you're oh. so good so handsome i have a dream one of my dream roles i would love to see him in i have a fantasy of a gay porn murder mystery dramedy Ooh. i want him to be a leather daddy suspect oh wow i think you'd be amazing to bring it back to Tom of Finland. Um, not not totally related but uh drew drogi has like a new play yeah. out have you heard about this it's like i have yeah yeah it's like a, a murder mystery about like white gays who oh fun i didn't know it was a murder mystery that's cool i think it's something like that it's like clue i think is how he nice. sort of described it so if you're in Love la that. i know they are doing or maybe they recently did some like stage oh. readings of it um sounds very fun well welcome coleman domingo you're so hot. Um, we love to see a gay man winning. <laughs> Tell us what um, Optimus Prime says in the Hall of Machos. Uh, we'll be waiting. I'm. This oh. is my message to Coleman. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. I was like, oh, I don't have a bit prepared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's just... Uh. That's what you get from... Nachos fully loaded this season of Feminist Frequency Radio. Feeling Thank too you. earnest about Coleman Domingo to come up with a joke about Optimus Prime. <laughs> Jesus Never Christ. too earnest. <laughs> That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this season of Feminist Frequency Radio presenting Nachos Fully Loaded. I am AC Lamberty, and you can follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at AC Lamberty. Uh, Letterboxd has our syllabus. Check out what we're talking about. I'm Kat Spada. I'm on Twitter at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina. 
Make sure you're following Feminist Frequency on social at FemFreak. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for the bonus episode where we'll be talking about the 2011 to 2016 Showtime series Gigolos for no other reason except that I am desperate to ruin my reputation. Seems like a long-running show for something I've never heard about. Okay. Uh, If you like the show, help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.